And I'm your co-host P. We are now in season two, episode 15. Wow. Another one. <laughs> keep coming at you with another one. That's really exciting, Pierre. Yeah, this is an awesome journey, and I couldn't imagine doing it with anyone else other than you. <laughs> and this this is gonna be a special episode today. Because you know, I'm from Brooklyn. Please God no. Home of Biggie and Jay. And speaking of Jay. This, this episode, we're going to be diving into some of the tracks from 444, the 13th studio album from the one and only Ho, <laughs> Lego. Um, yes, we are going to get into some of the songs that were on this album. The album was practically a surprise for people. Um, and when he dropped it, it was like, okay. And it was real, a lot of great songs on this album, um, a lot of it pertaining to what's going on in our communities and black culture. So we're kind of just going to get right into it. So one of my favorite songs on the album is The Story of OJ, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, so the song comes in on a Nina Simone sample. Um, and as, as some of you who may know, Nina Simone was one of the most extraordinary artists of the 20th century, an icon of American music. Um, she was practically a storyteller and who used her remarkable talent to create a legacy of liberation, empowerment, passion, and love through a magnificent body of works. So we're about to play um, a quick clip from Nina Simone and pertaining to one of her interviews that she had. Roll the clip. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it in the first place. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. So within that interview, I, one, that's one of the best interviews I've seen and I really enjoyed it because she basically speaks about blackness and why she felt the need to kind of 
put it out there to the public and black culture and why it's important and how she ended off by any means necessary. What was your take on it? My favorite part of the clip was the way she said black. She was like, black, black, black. I love that. But 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 honestly, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I like the fact how she said she wants to compel black people just to learn about their past and their history and where they come from. And honestly, that that really resonated with me because I recently have been getting more educated about just my culture, my history and my heritage. And so that I thought that was pretty dope. Like that was her mission. She was out there just trying to get people by any means necessary to educate themselves, to find like that passion within themselves to go out and educate themselves. So that was pretty cool. And she did a lot of it through her music, which is very important as well. Like her music really imitated and reflected the life that she wanted to live and the persona she wanted to put out there. And she was very true to herself. You know, she basically embodies our model of be who you are. Facts. So I thought that was very important. So I, I like the plug. <laughs> I do what I can when I can get it done. Um, <laughs> in regards to the song Story of OJ, so... The Nina Simone sample that he used is one of her popular songs called Four Women. And at the time when she wrote this song, it was meant to reflect the effects of slavery onto black women. And Nina writes from the perspective of four characters, a dark-skinned woman named Aunt Sarah, a light-skinned woman named Sarafonia, and a tan woman named Sweet Thing, and a brown-skinned woman named Peaches. So as you, you know, to kind of have that, background knowledge of the song that she wrote for a woman and to utilize as a sample on the story of OJ and how Jay-Z come in on the hook in terms of speaking about different types of black people. I think that's very important and how those two songs kind of relate and are in conversations with each other because she's speaking from a standpoint of four black women. He's speaking from a standpoint of black males. So I thought that was very interesting and I'm not sure if people caught on to that as they were listening to the song. Um, so to kind of bring it back, um, Nina Simone, she had other popular songs as well, Put a Spell on You, um, Feeling Good, and To Be Young, Gifted, and Black. And I just thought in regards to this song, you know, one of the comments, one of the, the best lines that was said was, I'm not black, I'm OJ. <laughs> okay. You know, and that's true. Like, at the time of the OJ Simpson trial, and I don't know if people were following at that time, and even, you know, now when they had, like, a show... It was like a series that they had on FX with John Travolta, which was amazing, by the way. They they all won accolades, and they did a, an ex, they did a spectacular job um, in that show. And basically, OJ was saying that I'm not black. Like, I don't want to be perceived as a black man. I'm OJ, as if he was, like, different from everyone else. And in part, the main reason why he won that trial was because he was black, when you think about it, because Johnny Cochran, at the time, had utilized race as a very pivotal component as to why he was being targeted and at the time with the LA riots and all everything of that sort and how black people were treated with police brutality which is still happening now um so much hasn't changed so I just thought that line was really powerful when he had that in the song what you was thinking about that when you heard it um when I heard it I was like <laughs> Jay's a genius <laughs> because um when the OJ Simpson trial happened I was really young so I didn't really know what was going Same. on but I, I didn't see the series on FX that you were talking about, but I did watch the 30 for 30 on ESPN. Mm -hmm. And it was a six-part series. It really dove into the OJ trial and even like the post-trial and pre-trial. And that was one of the things I was surprised to hear about. Like he didn't consider himself black. Like he was OJ. He was like, 
because he's like a sports star, he was above any skin color yeah. or race. And then just in general, learning from like the documentary, he where he went to school and his life, he wasn't around a lot of black people like that. Yeah. Um, ironically, after the trial, um, he went from not being black to actually being around more black people after he came out because there was like so much hate against him. Yeah. And that was one of the interesting parts about the, the documentary to me because the there was a lot of backlash from the white community because OJ got off, but then the black community, like <laughs> I remember Charlemagne the God making a joke, like that was one of the happiest day in black history <laughs> when, when OJ, when OJ like was spat. <laughs> When OJ was found not guilty. <laughs> like that. But, but yeah, I, I thought that was a great line when he was like, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Jay-Z's the man. He's just clever. I just You got to really dissect all the things that he's saying because there's just so many little nuances in there. Yes, yeah, a lot being said. That's one thing I tried. I really walked away with, with pertaining to this album and some of the songs is that there are a lot of things being said in it that was like, it could go over your head. Yeah. You know, and also in the parts of House slave versus field slave, which is something that I think is very important in terms of how, when you think of the historical context of a house slave and a field slave, a house slave oftentimes were the ones who were light skinned and the ones who they were treated better in a sense, and they and they acted as if they were better than the ones that were field slave. And a field slave were the ones who were darker, who were clearly out there picking cotton and doing other things, and they were not treated the same. So, kind of speaking about that, you know, the differentiation between the two. And how um, I think it goes along the lines of colorism, too, because when you have the light-skinned ones inside the house and you're not being, of course, you're not out there in the sun all the time, and it ties into colorism of, you know, light-skinned feeling like they're better and then dark skin are not treated the same and they're marginalized and how that still happens now within our community today. So the fact that he spoke about that within a song, I thought that was very interesting. And then taking a drug money to buy the neighborhood, you know, not dying in the neighborhood that your mother rents in. Like, that's real. <laughs> yeah. That's real right there. Like, reality is there are people who are out there who are drug dealers and they have to make a way. Jay-Z is known that in his past he was one. And unfortunately, due to certain circumstances, people have to succumb to that lifestyle to do better for themselves and their family. And the concept of the fact that that's happening and then you're dying in the midst of that because your your mom is renting in the neighborhood. She doesn't even own anything. So it's like, what are you doing all of this for? Yeah. And then it's a matter of you taking that money and flipping it and doing better with it than opposed to you just constantly, you know, being a drug dealer, staying within that lifestyle, you know, buying all of these fancy stuff, but you don't have anything to I'm shining. to. I'm shining. You know what I'm saying? So I thought that was really interesting that he put that out there. It's kind of like, it was like he was kind of directing dudes out there in the hood as to what to do. Seriously, he's basically <laughs> giving you a manual. And honestly, I feel like Jay-Z's been doing that his whole career. Like, when he was... Like, I feel like rappers, they usually talk about what their reality is at the time. So, with his first album, Reasonable Doubt, he was talking about he's not a rapper. He's just a drug dealer who happens to rap. And then Magna Carta came out. He started talking about art this, art that, because it's just, that's the reality of his life now. And I feel like he's, he's about to be a billionaire soon. So he's basically out here just giving out gems for people who look like him and who have that same reality as he did growing up, selling drugs, being in a rough community. 
And I think, listen, I don't condone selling drugs or any type of violence, but if you are going to sell drugs and you're going to be doing that kind of stuff, I think it makes sense to you do it till you can get yourself out of it. You shouldn't try to stay in that lifestyle forever. Like, look at Jay-Z. He, he literally went from the corners to corporate offices. Like, I respect the hustle. And people respect him and understand him. So it's like, you know, he's not just like, a, just not a typical dude from the hood. It's just like, okay, he's educated. Like, yeah. he's not only street smart, but he's book smart. And I always said those are like the best qualities to have, essentially. Um, and in terms of what also what he spoke about in regards to black people owning property and investing, I think that's very important. Like, actually owning something, not, you know, actually owning something and not, you know, renting and renting and renting because eventually that doesn't really go anywhere. And I think it ties into when he said, like, you know, I could have bought a place in Dumbo before it became Dumbo. And now Dumbo is, like, a lot of money. Yeah. It's ridiculously expensive. And I also think that's a very important part that he spoke about. And in regards to millennials, like, I feel like some of us, or a majority of us are renting. I get it. It's easier. It's cheaper. It's more convenient. There's no real attachment to owning property, whether it's a co-op, condo, or actual house. And I understand that aspect of it, but at the same time, it's actually better to own and it's actually more profitable and it's actually more of an investment yeah. than opposed to renting. What was your take on that? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, myself, moving towards being a worker and actually owning my own business and just being my own boss, that's definitely been the plan for me. I think that not enough people have that mentality where they want to take that ownership, take that onus and start their own business. And it's definitely tough, but it's definitely, it's definitely super invaluable. Like I remember my uncle always used to tell me the three ways to establish wealth in the United States is either owning your own business through real estate or investing. Mm -hmm. And I think the smart ways to pretty much dibble and dabble in all of those things and, so I love that that's what Jay-Z's talking about. You have to buy property. You have to own this art. You have to... He talks about people signing deals, but he's out here actually paying the deal, like paying the people. He's signing artists now, so... And having I, that control, which is very significant. Exactly. I think it's really important. And also how he discussed, you know, how Jewish people buying up all the property in America due to credit. And instead of throwing money around in a strip club, you know, what's as important is credit. And I think that's very important. You should know your credit score. You should be on top of making sure you're making your consistent payments and eventually having, like, being free from financial burden, which is also something that he discussed. Yeah, my credit is A1. Shout outs <laughs> to Credit Karma. Get the app if you don't know what your score is. You could clean that up real quick. That's very true. Um, okay, cool. So the next song on the album that we enjoyed is Moonlight. Yeah, so this song was actually inspired by the film Moonlight. And one of the lyrics that really stuck out was, we stuck in La La Land, even when we even when we win, we're going to lose. And I think that was like pretty much low-key, but not really low-key shade about what happened at the Oscars, where La La Land was told to win the film of the year, but it was actually Moonlight. Yeah. So yeah, that... <laughs> When I heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this dude is, he's not, he's not playing. He's just out here just making, just making statements throughout the entire album. That's the thing, because I remember when I was watching the Oscars, and I seen this part, because I watched most of it, and then when, when they had won again, 
because La La Land was with it throughout the whole show anyway. Moonlight did have a couple accolades, but when this had happened, I was like, what? And I changed the channel quickly. And then I'm on Twitter and I'm like, yo, what are people talking about? And it was like, did that just happen? So I went back and I was like, oh my God, like I didn't, because I missed that whole segment. I had to watch it on YouTube and I was like, yo, like they really won. And I was really excited by that. But it was, it was really disheartening in a sense because it was their moment. And it was, it was taken away because of a mistake, which yeah. they say was a mistake, but we don't even know if that's even true um, because the presenters did not know what was happening, apparently. And the fact, but what I did like was one of the members of La La Land, he realized it was a mistake and he said, listen, no, you guys deserve this win. I didn't like the fact that the rest of the cast was acting like, oh yeah, we won, but you didn't win and you know you didn't win. They already knew it, but they still try to accept the award. And it was like, can we can we ever have our moment? Like, can we just have our moment? And um, that was a really good movie, so definitely check it out. But yes, he definitely throws some shade in that, which I thought was very interesting. Um, another part of it too is when he basically discussed how Rappers are practically sounding the same and damn near having sex with the same woman nowadays. And I think it's very, in fact, true. I feel like now rap is on a whole new, like, different kind of... It's not the same. Hip-hop has transformed over the years, as we know. But now it's more of a trap kind of feel music thing. You know, everybody trying to be on their future joint. And that's fine, but that only works for selective artists. And that trap music is only for, like... It's so much of that you can take. Like, I want to talk about some real rugged hip-hop. Like, stuff that's really going on in the communities... Not necessarily twerking all the time because that's not something I want to hear all the time. That's really why I appreciate this album for what it was because he was talking about real issues that I was like, wow, this really relates to me and what's going on now. So I just thought that was really interesting. And also the part where he discussed like artists still signing deals after what he did to Lauren Hill. And we see what's happening with her career and how it's unfolding. So I thought that part was kind of crazy. Listen, I'm not, I love trap music. I stay in the trap. Trap, 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 trap. But I I don't know. I think I hear what he's saying, but I just feel like at the end of the day, I like the trap music and the, the new music that's out because you could dance to it. I like the beat, but at the same time, if I want to hear more lyrical, more consciousness, I go out there and look forward to consume it. Yeah, so I do feel like a lot of the music that's coming out I don't I don't see it really lasting like the mumble rapping and stuff like that but for the time being I enjoy it. It's fun, it's lighthearted and you could dance to it. And it, like I said, you can always find the different types of music that you want to consume because honestly I don't listen to the radio at all anymore. <laughs> Cuz that I think that's more of a function cuz I don't drive but now I'm on Apple Music and I'm just looking for the music that I want to hear so. Yeah. So yeah, can't, I'm not I'm not mad at the people who are making money off uh, that trap 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 trap. <laughs> Y'all should see Pierre right now. <laughs> anyway, the next song on the album which I like was Smile. Um, I think this was like one of the top ones for me. It was a lot in this song. You know, he spoke about his mother being like a closet lesbian for years. She had about four kids, and how because of that she kind of had to like medicate herself because she was depressed because that she had to hide who she really was. And I think that's very important because we speak about the stigma of the LGBT community in the black community and how I feel like we don't even talk about it as much. And people that are black with that are LGBT within the black community feels feel as if they have to hide who they are. 
and be like closet in the closet about being lesbian or gay or bisexual and the fact that they need to be definitive and it's not really accepting. I think that's very problematic. And also I think as now laws have changed and gay and lesbians can be married now, it's, it still has that stigma and it still affects us in some aspects. And the fact that his mother, like you have this hardcore rapper from Brooklyn, Marcy projects came up He's a rapper and he's a drug dealer and his mom is a lesbian. And for him to really openly speak about that, I think this was one of the first times I ever heard, heard Jay-Z even touched on this. So I thought that was really interesting that, you know, he came out and had that kind of conversation on his track. And I think one of the parts that really stuck with me is when he said he cried tears of joy when his mother was happy. <clears throat> and just the, the idea of black men crying in moments of pain and joy and how that's a taboo subject. Like, you know, to see that, here is this, this, you know, rapper and drug dealer who ends up crying because his mom is actually happy in a sense that she's true to who she is and with the woman that she wants to be with. And for him to really openly speak about that and be vulnerable with his emotions, that really got to me. And I really did like the track for that. And what did you think on it? Um, I thought it was dope. I had no idea that his mom yeah. was a lesbian. So I was, at first, I'm like, wait, who is he talking about? I had to like really run it back. Like, yeah. his mom? Hmm? Really? But then I was like, that's dope. He's just expressing and just, like you said, being vulnerable. And I think there's strength in vulnerability. And that's why, that's why I love and respect Jay-Z. Um, yeah, and the, the fact that you brought up how he was actually crying because she was so happy and she was out finally able to be herself. I think that's powerful. Like there's such, especially for boys. And I think probably even on a greater level in the black community, there is that stigma, that taboo around men crying. And the fact that Jay-Z's talked about, he was crying and putting it out there. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe crying's cool now. Crying's in. Crying's a thing now. Crying is in. Trying. So when last did you cry? Um, <laughs> the fact that you had to think and put your hand in, like no, really? no. To be honest, I'm listen, keep it honest. I probably cried like maybe September, Over October. What? Um, me and my dad were having a conversation, and we were just talking about our relationship and how we just wanted it to be better. We kind of were going into like some of the things that went on in our past that kind of hindered the growth of our relationship just having like a stronger bond and we were just getting real with each other and it just literally started coming out and to be honest i'm different i've always i've never really like followed what quote unquote you have to be for society or whatever so when i have a tear like tears coming on i let it out i feel like I'm like, this felt great. I don't cry often, but if I feel like it's about to happen, I'm not trying to fight it. I feel like you just got to let it go. Just let it out. And do you think it's like therapeutic when you cry and let it out? Do you feel like different and relieved? And, or do you feel like it's pointless depending on the situation? I think it's definitely therapeutic. I feel like in life, you shouldn't resist things. You should just let things go naturally and go with the flow. And if you feel like you're about to cry, maybe in listen, I get it. Some circumstances you may not want to let them see you cry, but like if you're alone and you're in a safe place, I don't think there's anything wrong with letting those tears out. I nearly cried when I was watching the notebook. It was lit. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And I honestly, I can't watch any of those ESPN stories like make a wish without having at least one tear just like come rolling down. Like that, that really gets to me. No, I'm glad you're being honest because, like I said, it's a taboo subject, and oftentimes it's like I think it's expected for women to cry in certain situations or circumstances. We're kind of expected to be emotional, so when a man is being vulnerable and actually crying and opening up, whether it's in terms of crying in joy, like him being happy for his mother, or in terms of being scared or in fear or whatever the case may be, I think it's very important that we have those discussions. And you know, I'm glad that he touched upon. And his track, too, in terms of, since we're on the topic of being therapeutic, he mentions having a therapist, mm. which is like, he kind of dropped that, like, low-key line. I was like, wait, what? You got a therapist? Like, and I commend him on so many levels because like, you can tell, like, he has matured in some aspects through this album, but also, like, openly saying as a black man, even though I came from these situations and I'm here where I'm at now, I do have a therapist and I invest in that. And that shows that he wants to change who he is and become a better person. So that really, I was like, yes, thank you. Speak on it. And I hope the men who are listening to this album are like, maybe it's not going to be bad to have a therapist. Like, what you saying now? It was cool. Now crying is cool. Now having a therapist is going to be cool. And we talked about this in our previous episodes about self-care and mental health as well and having a therapist or a life coach. I think it's very important that you seek that um, because you just never know what you could things that you may be harboring inside of you or things that are causing you not to move forward and becoming a better person and essentially working on your mental and emotional state is very important. Yeah, a lot of times I feel like people are so big on the physical appearance, but that mental health is huge. And the fact that he's like, I do have a therapist. Listen, I feel like nowadays having a therapist, it's like, it's kind of cool now. Like, yeah, I kind of think so too. And I feel like now people, they talk about like the conversations they have with their therapists, like in casual conversations, like different podcasts I listen to. Like, they're like, yeah, me and my therapist were talking about these two girls. I don't know, whatever. It's just yeah. like, it seems like it's just, it's natural. And, but the thing is, I feel like it's more for people with money that I've been hearing talk about having their therapist. That, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I mean, I think that's a stigma that comes along with having a therapist that you have to have money. You have to. I don't necessarily think so because I, you know, I spoke about me having a life coach, which I feel like she's borderline like a therapist to me and I'm doing certain things that I'm working on becoming a better person. And there are some days that are easier said than done and other days are much more difficult depending on the circumstances and situation. But I will say this, it's affordable for me mm-hmm. in terms of having her. Um, so I don't think, and also she's very reasonable. She's not like, you need to pay this date. Like, she's just like, okay, I understand, it's fine. So I don't think you having a life coach or a therapist is expensive. I think you need to do research on the ones you get. Don't just run on Google and get the, the you know top five therapists or life coach. Investigate who you're actually going to get. And also, if there's anyone you know that went to that person and get a feel of you know, what their experience was like. And also, um, it's very telling if someone is only interested in assisting you based off of the money factor. If they're only concerned, I feel like if they're only concerned about you paying them at a certain time and it's like, you have to pay, you have to pay, you have to pay. And it's like, okay, so what kind of person are you? And are you there for my best interest at heart? So I think it's very important that you look into what kind of therapist or life coach you end up seeking out for the right reasons. And also, you know, letting them explain to them your financial state. Like, listen, I don't have it like this. Can we break down the payments? Can we work something out? 
don't be as scared to have those conversations because the bigger picture is you becoming a better person and having self-care and making sure your mental health and emotional state are okay. So, And I also think in the context of money, I get what you're saying that it could be expensive, but I'd rather spend money on a therapist and go buy me a pair of Jordans. <laughs> like, facts. I'm not going to be, you know what I'm saying? Or I'd rather go me spend money to go have a therapist or a life coach than me going to a concert that's going to cost me two to $300. Like, it's to me, it's you, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. Yeah. You know, maybe you can't have Starbucks every morning. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Maybe you can't have a just salad every day that's like $10 a pop. You're going to have to sacrifice and make it work. So if it is costly, I think that's something where it comes into play about you rearranging your money and realize what's more important. As Jay-Z said in a previous track, hey, what's more important than throwing money in a strip club? Credit. What's more important than you spending money on all these other lavish things or luxurious things? Your, your self-care and your mental health. So that's how I see it. Yeah, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to get a therapist, I would not suggest starting off with Dr. Phil or Oprah. Like, you got to do your research and then see what's in your, what's in your price brackets and then, then you work from there. Like, you can't, you can work your way once you start making those bands and you just, you're in the trap and you just stack up that money. <laughs> then you could reach for the Dr. Phil's, but initially you just got to stay in your lane, stay in your price bracket. Yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous i hate you so um the next song we're gonna discuss is marcy me um one of the lines that really stood out was when he said he's from the old brooklyn not this new shit feels like a spoof and i think that's really talking about the gentrification of brooklyn and just how things are just changing i feel like a lot of my older friends who are from Brooklyn, they would talk about when they were growing up, like there are certain parts of Brooklyn you literally couldn't even walk into because you were scared for your life over there. And I don't... People jogging <laughs> and having lemonade stands. Jogging, jogging, going to Starbucks and then stopping off at the therapist, like where that used to, that used to be the crack spot. But um, yeah, it's that gentrification, it's... It's real. It's it's affecting communities, and like Jay Z said, it's it can feel like a spoof if you went from seeing one reality, then over the course of a decade, completely changed overnight. What what's your take on the the new Brooklyn? Well, I'm not I'm not a Brooklyn head, so I'm from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. You already know what time it is. Boogie down. <laughs> I see you. Um. But I do, in the context of gentrification happening, I do see that. And I've heard stories, around, growing up, I've heard in Brooklyn, it was like the same run that. And I was like, what does that mean? It was like they were running for your sneakers. And I was like, <laughs> that was like one of the main reasons I didn't go into Brooklyn heavy. Because I was just like, I'm not trying to get caught up in no drama. I could stay in the Bronx for all of that. But real talk, like Brooklyn has transformed a lot. I've heard people speak a lot about it. And like, you know, different parts of Brooklyn, like even Williamsburg, it's so hippieville. It's like, so like Cali vibe, hippie center. I'm sure it was not like that years ago. Um, and now basically like Flatbush area and stuff like that. Things are changing and definitely certain parts of Brooklyn. Some parts of it still have its, the rugged hoodness to it, but it is transforming. And I don't know. I just, like you said, gentrification is happening in the communities and, communities are transforming but i guess i put it down to my problem is a matter of families and people being displaced into neighborhoods that they don't necessarily want to be in because they're being like not necessarily outsourced in their communities but because 
they don't have the same amount of income or whatever the case may be. They're being t pushed out of their communities. And oftentimes when they're taken out, these landlords transform the apartments or building where they're living in and, you know, boost up the rent. And then you bring in a whole new, new demographic of people. So I think it's unfortunate as to what's happening, but I do feel as if, if it's so much of a problem for many people, there needs to be more action done in terms of pressuring politicians and kind of slowing down the rate of that. And I don't see a lot of that happening. I see us having conversations surrounding it, which is great. Conversation is always good. It's a start. It's a stepping stone. But I don't know if it's something that can be stopped. And if it can, how can we go about doing it? I, I mean, you're from Brooklyn. Which part of Brooklyn are you from? Is it the same? Canarsie Flossie. <laughs> shout, shout outs to, to the hundreds. Is Canarsie still the same? <laughs> um, To be honest, Canarsie is pretty much the same. It really hasn't been gentrified as much. But I I do see little things happening that from when I grew up, like little things are starting to change. Like now there's a 7-Eleven. Now there's a Starbucks. Like they just recently. You know it's real when you got a Starbucks in the hood. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even got a Starbucks in my area. So that's real. Like they completely did over... Um, they completely did over one of the malls near near where I live. So I'm seeing little things starting to happen. And honestly, in my mind, I'm like, I grew up listening to Jay-Z. So I kind of, I feel like I have that business mentality. I'm like, if I see these little things happening slowly but surely, I want to invest and be able to capitalize and be a part of that growth. And that kind of gets me conflicted because in at one sense, I'm thinking about my family, my legacy, like building wealth for my future generations mm -hmm. of La Vicieres. But it's like, at the same time, if these places are getting gentrified, like you said, families who can't afford the new cost of living in these locations are going to be displaced. And I just, it's kind of scary to be like, being a black person who grew up in New York, I feel like New York is the best city in the world. I can't imagine living anywhere else. Like I love to travel. I love to go to different parts of the world and just see different cultures. But it always feels good to when I come back home. And I'm like imagining maybe 20, 30, 40 years from now, could it possibly get to the point where it's too expensive for a lot of black people to actually live in New York City? And that that's a scary thought for me. So I'm I'm just conflicted. I feel like I want to be able to capitalize and take advantage of just growth and financial growth of different areas as they bring in different businesses and more capitalism spending. But then at the same time, a lot of families who are originally from here aren't even able to benefit in that. And I think I'm a perfect example of that. Now I live in Harlem, but they, I recently heard that they were trying to change, like developers were trying to change South Harlem from South Harlem to Soha. Yeah. And I'm like... Yeah, which is a big thing too. That sounded crazy to me. And But the, the article that I read, they essentially were saying something like, by just simply changing the name from South Harlem to Soha, prices are instantly going to go up just because yeah. it's more trendy. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, that's scary because that's a whole community of people that at that point can instantly be displaced just because of that name change. Like that gentrification process will start and yeah. So And I mean it's essentially kind of what they did when he started off in Morningside. Like people were like, it's Harlem. I'm like, I don't call it Morningside, it's Harlem. 
that is a part of Harlem, which they kind of transformed and made a morning side because Columbia is over there. And it became more trendy. And now people only want to reside within that area. Certain demographics want to reside within that area. I think you make a very valid point. Like, yeah, there are some in terms of developers and also, like, <clears throat> realtors who, like, I believe the company who is trying to transform is called Keller Williams. They're one of the real estate companies in New York. And they play a part in that in terms of naming it Soha. And I do think the transformation of the name is very problematic because you are trying to transform a community and rename it. What is wrong with Harlem being what it is? Harlem has this culture to it that makes it so powerful and why people gravitate towards it in terms of the historical context of what it stood for in the Harlem Renaissance and all of these things. Why would you try to transform the name and make it into something that it's not? If a certain demographic don't feel comfortable living in that area because of the name, then you don't belong here. Go someplace where you belong, maybe on the Upper West Side or something of that sort. But don't come to Harlem trying to transform a whole community's name for the fact of you having an influx of certain demographic in there. And like what you said, you displace a certain community, which is primarily communities of color, who may have lived within, you know, in terms of the income range and may fall in line with being in, in terms of poverty. So when you do that, you're displacing a certain group of people and you're marginalizing them. And that's something that, like I said before, in terms of how gentrification is happening, there needs to be more, we need to be more aggressive in that approach in terms of, you know, really kind of having those conversations with politicians and saying, what is going to happen? What are you going to do about it? Like, what changes are going to be made? How is this going to stop? Because at the end of the day, just having conversations to me is just not enough. It is a start, but we need to kind of do more than that in order to stop these things from happening. However, if gentrification is happening, I feel like some people think gentrification are happening in communities where, and they feel like it's become better. Like, I think Spike Lee had kind of made a comment, like, listen, if it took four white people to move into this neighborhood for y'all to take up the trash every day or for the sanitation to come and pick up the trash and for the neighborhood to be cleaner, then, you know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate it's happening, but it's sad that it took for a certain demographic to be moved in for the neighborhood to look better and for us to get a Starbucks or to get a 7-Eleven, to get all of these things that we should have gotten before. Why wasn't there more investment into these kind of resources before? And that's the problem. And I think that we do need to kind of do more and be a bit more aggressive in that approach. Okay. Um, Y'all go deep there, which is good. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> Shut up. So now we're going to get into the other song, which is one of my favorites, of course. And it was 444. And basically, there's two lines that really stood out for me when um, Jay-Z was like, I apologize, often womanized, took... For my child to be born and see through a woman's eyes. I apologize for all the women whom I toyed with your emotion because I was emotionless and apologize because you because at best you are love. Um this was definitely one of my favorite tracks pertaining to this because and it wasn't because oh we found out that him and Beyonce may have had marital issues and he was not faithful to her. It wasn't because of that, because I know some people are like, oh, this is like juicy gossip. It wasn't that for me what really stuck out for me in this album was his vulnerability and him being on point with his emotions it kind of reminded me of song cry a little bit but song cry was like ultimately hands down one of my favorite tracks that he ever had um but i feel like it's more like of a newer version of song cry where he speaks about i think it's important for him as a man of his like stature to really speak about hey you know in terms of validating not validating but really valuing the woman that he has in his life and realizing why he still have her oftentimes you know guys may make 
end up hurting a woman, cheating on a woman, whatever the case may be. And it takes for a woman to fully move on and be like, I'm done with you for you to realize, oh my God, you add so much value to my life. It's like, oh, you didn't see that when I was here? <laughs> like, it took for me to like really let you go for you to realize that. And I think also in terms of him speaking about, you know, he'd rather have a soulmate than a menage a trois. And I think that becomes, that's important. Like, I mean, you may not care because you, you're, you're, you're turning your whole neck. So you may not care, but... Men who are more matured, who whoa, realize whoa, whoa, whoa. what's more important, it's more important to have that one person that's your soulmate that you can share things with and that's practically your world than have someone that you're sitting up here trying to have a threesome with. Pierre's literally rolling his eyes, but it's cool because, you know, there's more to talk about. I'm not done. And I would also say, like, him being apologetic to his queen and actually living in that truth, which is something that I think is very important for men who make mistakes of like, I sincerely apologize for what I've done to you and I want to do better. And I'm going to prove that through my actions and through my words. You know, sometimes it may just be your words, but also your action actually play a big part of that. And him being cognizant of the fact that he has hurt other women in their past and because of his actions, and it may have affected them in them being in love or having future mates and I think that that comes a lot with maturity and that's really what I enjoyed about that album um, I mean not the album the song so yeah definitely a good song but I just want to say a few things definitely you upgrade my life key so shout outs to you my new being queen <laughs> I see you um but I just wanted to touch on the part about the menage a trois and the soulmates I don't know I feel like I don't really believe in soulmate. I think there's billions of people in the world. The idea that only one person out there is the person that you're meant to be with. I think there's so many different combinations of personalities and character traits and physical features. Like there's probably many people that you can connect with and have that real connection with. That That's why I don't believe in a soulmate. They're probably multiple soulmates you just happen to live in a certain area and a lot of people don't even get outside of that area to a certain extent so i just wanted to put put my little opinion out there listen and it's something that i ascribe to but others don't have to but i just feel like it's with all the different combinations different people connect with one another and you may never meet that other person on the other side of the world who you would vibe with on a an amazing level as well so that's just my opinion and in regards to the menage a trois i'm not even going to speak on that we could talk about that for another episode <laughs> so this song was really powerful even for some women um one of them did write a response to it called 443 pierre's going to speak more about that so yeah the the poem and the article was written by candace ben bow and Candace is a writer and educator. She's appeared on HuffPost Live and is also a columnist for Urban Cuss Magazine. In some of her previous works in May 2016, following the release of Beyonce's visual album, Lemonade, Candace created the hashtag Lemonade Syllabus. And it was a hashtag in social media campaign. Did you do the hashtag when she I created had, it? When she had created it, I had kind of looked into it as to what was going on. And basically, she created a syllabus and, like, other women and black educators around, like, I believe the U.S. kind of contributed in terms of what books or works kind of circulated around that topic in terms of Lemonade the Album. And it was, like, a lot of books. She was able to get a lot of entries and kind of created, like, this whole syllabus, which, as 
it's kind of like a guide or a manual in terms for black women and women of color who like because when you you know lemonade album it's kind of there's different levels of emotions and feelings and what it's like it basically was you know really meant for black women and the growth of black women so the work surrounding the syllabus kind of pertain to that so that was very profound yeah and she also did something similar to that back in february 2017 she collaborated with l.com media scholars at the Ann Julie Cooper Center at Wake Forest University. And under the direction of Dr. Melissa Harris Perry, they created a seat at the table syllabus or hashtag seat syllabus in response to Solange Noah's powerful album of the same name. And so, yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't want any B attacks, but I did not hear the whole Lemonade album. I've heard like, few songs here and there definitely fire shout outs to b i love you boo. <laughs> yeah, <go ahead>. yeah. <laughs> but um i definitely i listened to the seat at the table in its entirety that album was definitely super powerful definitely gave me a real sense of pride in being black and i just loved it the the Noel sisters are definitely doing it out here and yeah i just wanted to put that out there yeah so candace piece actually um 443 I thought it was very powerful and needed response to the Jay, um, Jay-Z 444 because it really speaks to, she's, she's basically coming from a perspective of her heart was broken by her previous lover. I mean, we all go through that. I think some of the valid points that was made in the article, um, not necessarily the article, she wrote a blog post about it is not getting to a place of restoration with someone you love. You know, Jay-Z did speak about in 444 that, him and Beyonce was able to move past that and, you know, he realized how much he loved her and stuff like that. And some women, you want that. When when you're with someone that you really like or you're really into and you practically love and they mess up, you want them to want you and want to restore it and make it work. So she spoke about that in a piece and also settling for crumbs after you gave your all. Now, I know some women out there, we can relate to that. You talking with a dude or you with a dude and you giving him everything. And then it's like he gives you crumbs, like, oh, well, you know, maybe we could be friends. And it's like, oh, really? Like, so I thought that was really important. And then also, even to tie it into that, you know, how if you're talking with a guy, you're with a guy, and he'll say, you know, you've made me better. I know more about myself because of you. And she touched upon that in this blog post, and I thought that was very important because it's like, all right, so if I make you better and I add value to your life, which I've heard a dude or two say that to me, my perspective is, why the hell are we not together? Because, like, if that's the case, like, why is it that you're trying to friend zone me? If I'm adding value to your life and I'm actually a contribution into your life as you becoming a better person, why are you friend zoning me? And that was one of the points that she made in this piece, and I thought that was very important. And valid questions that was asked and women can definitely relate to is, um, it seems like when you're in a situationship or it's not even a relationship, it's a situationship. It's like, have women like me, she asks, have women like me mastered the art of being starter relation or situationships? Do we provide men like you with everything necessary to become the men you want to be without us? And is that how this works? Who made these rules? And I can so relate to that. Like, you know what I'm saying? You invest in time and energy into someone or a situationship that you hope will evolve into a relationship. And it's like, it, it stops. It doesn't go past that. But then it's like you're you're with them and you're kind of building them up to become a better person. And they're like, yeah, nah, I'm not ready for that. Or they hit, they hit you with the, I got to find myself. Oh, now you lost? Oh, I bet. Because you wasn't lost when you were trying to talk to me, though. But now all of a sudden, 
you lost, you confused and dazed the fuck out. Like, that's what gets me. And she talks about that in this piece. And I think that's very important because it's like, oh, so you're a starter, a starter chick. You're just the one you get with to kind of build up so you could be right for the next person. And one of my favorite parts of, because Pierre's going to give his take and I know he's going to rip it apart, but it is what it is. Speaking (laughs) on behalf of the ladies out there. One of my favorite parts that she said through this piece was, I wonder if you realize the cost we pay for loving men like you. My anxiety, based miscarriages, my cousin's hair loss, your homegirl's weight gain, depression, suicidal thoughts, uh, substance abuse, retail therapy, and max credit cards, entertaining dudes we don't even like just to feel wanted. And I, let me repeat that again. Entertaining dudes we don't even like just to feel wanted. So many forms of self-harm we pay with our bodies, sometimes our lives, and even in that trauma, we still find ways um, to sow deeper into the love we have for you, hoping it will get better. And she also said, I say men like you because you don't live on an island. You are part of a nation of brothers whose self selfishness turned growth always leaves someone wounded, and we're left with more questions than answers. And that part right there did it for me because it's valid. Like, are you serious right now? And there are females out there that are in similar situations that can definitely relate. And I thought her piece was great because it was in conversation to Jay-Z444. And it was good to kind of get a woman's take on it who have been hurt um, by someone she really cared about and did not have a form of restoration with that person. What you about to say, Pierre? Because you about to rip it up. Go ahead. It was a great article. It had me through going through emotions and feelings and all that good I stuff. I hit a butt. But. I think situationships would make a great dating app. I feel like we could coin that. You down? You see the look on my face, right? Damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm serious about that. But honestly, I feel like it's so easy to just make it seem like it's only women who go through these type of relationships, but men go through this same type of relationships as well. Where but it's not more common among men than it is women. I think women are more common. How many dudes are starter dudes? Let me... How sweat? I just, I just want to know. I I know plenty of guys who they they they're good guys. They want to enter. They want to be with a woman, get into a real relationship with them. But because they don't have that look, or because they're not cool enough, or have swag, women just disregard them, and they can go on to guys who ain't ain't about much. But then they want to give all their love to those guys, and then get upset when. It doesn't work out. At the end, because especially I know personally, I've been in that position where I was that nice, sweet guy. I was writing poems. I was like all lovey dovey. I wanted to be real sweet and take care of a girl. But then girls could look at that and consider that weak or. And listen, this might be a pers- like a part of me being. I was younger back then. Oh, okay. But at the end of the day, listen, I'm all about responsibility. If you know you're in a relationship with someone. Who, like you, like she said, you don't even like what you need to be conscious and be responsible about the people that you're allowing in your life. I think that's valid. That I, I will say you're right about. Like, if you're entertaining someone who you don't even like, it may hurt you in some aspects. You do need to be conscientious of the people that you bring into your life and the energy you kind of put out there, and in terms of the people you engage with. But at the same time, it's like. 
when you know when especially towards the end when she speak about an island of men that you guys are practically some of you guys are practically similar in the same instances mm. you can't lie and say that's not true like not all these not all you guys out here are looking for relationships and so i feel like some of y'all y'all need it to be perfect like it has to be we we talking for a year we exclusive for about two we're going to be in a relationship for about 10 years have about three four kids and then we may get married like i feel like and I'm clearly I'm exaggerating to some extent, but I do feel like <laughs> he, he exaggerating. I really, oh. but it's like to me, it's just I feel like now with today's dating day and age with dating, it's like to even get to that point of being in a relationship with someone, it's like you have to be perfect, you got to be talking for months at a time. And I don't really think that way because my thing is. I see it like this. If you like me and I like you and the chemistry is good and we like being in each other's company and we're getting to know each other, it shouldn't take 300 years for you to realize, okay, I want to pursue a relationship with you because you just don't know how that may turn out. That may end up being someone that you end up getting married to down the road that you did not even see that coming from the beginning. But I think that she speak from a place of hurt that a lot of women can relate to. Like, well, yes, you are a good guy or were. What? <laughs> Were. I'm amazing. <laughs> Past tense. I have references. And your your friends may be good, which is great for them. But then there are situations where there are guys out there who, you know, pass themselves off as being a good guy, but essentially they do stuff that are just like, okay, that's not cool. Listen, all I'm saying is let's not just signal out single out the guys because there's women out there who are just plain dudes and yeah. there's guys out there getting hurt too but i feel like this is like part of the double standard that we don't talk about that same way there's domestic violence against men but that's something we don't really talk about as well that's true. i'm listen i completely understand where she's coming from and i'm not gonna lie i've definitely been that guy that she's spoken about oh you can relate definitely so no. I, I definitely can relate to it but i just think at the end of the day someone needs to write 442 for the men i might <laughs> i might do that Should watch out so for the block you can relate do you feel bad for the past woman that you have hurt keep it on it they probably listening so you might want to be careful um um don't be shy now because you had a lot to say let me think. Oh, now you want to think about it. I would say yes. I definitely do. Because at the end of the day, I feel like everyone's out here just trying to be happy. Everyone wants to live a good life. And I do feel like we wasted time together. And I do. I want I want nothing but happiness for that person, people, whatever the oh, case may be. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it ambiguous. No, no, no. I'm, right. just, I'm just trying to keep it ambiguous. Yeah, okay, ambiguous. Yeah, okay. But um, yeah, I do feel bad, and after that situation, relationship, whatever was over, I honestly wanted nothing but happiness for that person. I think at at that point in our lives, we weren't things weren't working out the way either of us envisioned it to go. So once it was over, I definitely hope that they moved on to someone who would make them happy and knew what they wanted and they were someone that up. was deserving of them because clearly you wasn't i wouldn't say deserving of them i just think i was at a different place in my life and i think that happens all the time people meet each other at different places in their lives and i think you have to meet that person where they're at you can't expect them to just want exactly what you want and always be ready to do what you want because 
Sometimes a guy might be looking for a situationship and a girl wants to get married, or it could be vice versa. A girl, she just came out of a terrible relationship and all she wants is a situationship and the guy's like, man, I've been doing this forever. Like, I'm trying to find me a good girl and lock it down and it's just not working, so, yeah. I feel like in those situations, you just need to be like, all right, cut your losses and debt. Right, and that's what she should have did. She should have cut her losses. You want something more, and you the other person don't just cut your losses and dead. And I feel like one of the the questions females need to be asking dudes out there pertaining to this article because it was a blog post actually because it was a good read is after you ask him if he's single or not, and if he has any kids, and you know all that background information. The next follow up question needs to be: Are you gonna waste my time or not? Like real talk. Like, are you gonna waste my time or not? Because I don't need my time wasted. That's kind of aggressive. I probably wouldn't say that. I w- I'd probably say that to after a few. That's dates like what pillow talk. Huh? Huh? That's a pillow talk conversation. Or what is that? A few dates when? Because uh, time is still being wasted. You're already on a few dates. Listen. <laughs> Yeah. I love pillow talk. <laughs> I like to cuddle. <laughs> That's what you tell him? <laughs> and I'm a good guy. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Damn. Yes. Shout out to Hove. Brooklyn. In the building. 442 coming out soon. Uh, uh, that's that's going to be my first official blog post. Be on the lookout for it, fellas. I got you. Shout out to Candace Benbow. Um, please read the blog post if you do. It's 443. I definitely think it's a good read and a conversation piece. Whether you agree with her or not, um, definitely read it. And I think listen to 444 and then read it. And then you see how they're in conversations with each other, which I think that's what I really like about it. And also she had like excerpts from the song in the on um, blog post. But I definitely feel like it's a conversation that needs to be had, whether men can relate to it or not, or females can relate to it or not. It's a great read. Yeah. Well, so that's going to be it for today, guys. Thank you again for tuning in. We really love the support and love hearing from you guys. Definitely follow us on IG at underscore unapologetically underscore different. Twitter, unapologetic, two underscores, D. And you can find us on iTunes by searching for unapologetically different. Definitely hit that subscribe button, rate and review us, leave a comment. We definitely appreciate it. And lastly, you can send us an email at unapologeticallydifferent at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next week's episode. Bye.